0: Noel Murray of The Dissolve says this movie is agreeably goofy and it feels like something anyone could do, even if that's not the case. David Nusser of Real Film Reviews says it's about as good as it gets when it comes to silly comedies. And Letterboxd user Bracky Wacky says this film is still literally 100% perfect and if you disagree, then fuck you. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of UHF. Reboot.
1: Which one will it be?
2: It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! It is time for Ruin Childhoods. Greetings, Starfighters! What will we talk about today?
0: Is that a, a Dan original song parody? That
2: is in the style of Oh, in the style Weird Al Yankovic, as a a, a a tribute to the style of Weird Al Yankovic, which we are celebrating on this episode of Ruin Childhoods.
0: Wow! How does one? Uh... Give tribute to the style of somebody who gives tribute to the style of so many other artists you that's a real brain twister.
2: You make a podcast where you talk about how much you've loved his movie for over thirty years fair enough
0: yeah uh ah. so I, I know that you have a one more thing for Flash Gordon, but before we get to that, first of all, welcome everybody. yes. Second of all, this is our second attempt at this.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, you could say third or fourth.
0: (laughs) Third or fourth attempt. We were having a lot of technical difficulties while we were recording. Well, we kept on having to push back the recording date for a bunch of reasons, and uh, we were just like, all right, Monday night. We are recording it and getting it right out, and then uh, nature decided to play a, a role in everything, and... Uh, it was here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, well into the 100 degree and above, Mark. Uh, you are in Seattle. I am in Portland. Here it was 115 degrees.
2: Um, and, Nature uh, or Clitus, I'm bored. Did, oh. Ming the, did Ming the Merciless <laughs> have a heat wave button on his, like, jukebox of plagues and disasters? <laughs> wow. That's
0: totally blowing my mind right now
2: um really the timing uh, could not have been better
0: we were we were about halfway through our recording session and my power went out and we figured then rather than uh, trying to recapture the magic we'd come in with a fresh magic and you know what it's early in the day it's um 11 a.m i have i have coffee instead of a uh, a more evening beverage, which for me is like a sparkling water, <laughs> and um, a white cloth. Yeah, so we're we're coming we're coming at it with a fresh energy. Yeah. So yeah, it's
2: it's Tuesday, June 29th. Yeah, it's it's the morning, <laughs> eleven a.m. <Yeah, a>. <laughs> uh,
0: and and I have to also apologize if there are any noises that one might hear uh, on the other side of the wall from where I am right now, which includes windows. Uh, there are some guys who are building a fence, so uh, that's like, I'm looking at them right now. Um, they're doing a great job, but if there's any errant construction noises, that's what's happening. I love
2: how you said it includes Windows like it's a laptop you're buying in like 1995 and oh. where it says like includes Windows 95. Includes Windows. No, my wall includes Windows. No, yes. Well, uh, I, I what if it's more... like one of those fancy computer walls from from the future in sci-fi? Oh, the future. Yeah, the yeah. the future.
0: Okay. Uh Dan, did you have a one more thing for Flash Gordon or was that your one more thing <laughs> is that Ming the Merciless was being merciless.
2: No, that was a bonus. So <laughs> it, my one more thing was a note. So uh, when we talked about Flash Gordon, we had talked about a remake, and we had talked a lot about the style of the original Flash Gordon. Yeah. Something which I think it, you know works to its to its benefit. And I'm going to suggest something that I don't think I've ever suggested before. And we will probably okay. not suggest again. And I did mean to include this last week. And then I saw it in my notes. I was like, I can't believe. I was like, this is the one and only time that I've ever and possibly will ever suggest a shot by shot remake. Oh, okay. A, yep, a Gus fan sant Psycho. <laughs> right. But like a shot by shot remake of But then if it's
0: a if it's truly a Gus Van Sant style shot by shot remake, will it include a shot of uh, Dr. Zarkov jerking off? (laughs) Because that's the one thing that is different about the Gus Van Sant. uh, No, Clytus. Psycho.
2: Clitus it's Clytus yeah I know he's in front of his his shrine to Ming and yeah. and yeah and you know uh, uh what's oh,
0: sparks are flying all over I, the place I
2: forgot I forgot Melanie Anderson's character is looking through the uh Dale Dale yes yeah yes yes for some reason I almost wow. said Dale Earnhardt even the and
0: can't believe I remembered her name
2: yeah no, I remember Melody Anderson. I remember the okay. name of the actress. But it's hard for me to remember. I always want to call her Lois. Oh, cuz okay. I feel like there's kind of a it's a Lois Laney lane equality. Yeah, I mean yeah. not I mean it, which also like Flash Gordon came out just a couple of years after Superman, the movie. So right. not, not unintentional. I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, but that was my, my one more thing. I felt it was, I wanted to to bring that back because that was when I think about the original Flash Gordon, I think about, well, why wouldn't you remake it? Or like not, not like literally actually why, what are reasons to not remake right. it? And it's like part of what makes it special is that style that uh, that was brought to it, and a lot of the yeah, you know the 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 cinematography and direction. So shot by shot remake of okay. Flash Gordon.
0: Uh, it, you know, just just because we're talking about it, I may as well also suggest a uh, like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade float. That'd be fun.
2: Oh wow! That's I don't think or that, balloon. I don't think that's ever come up in our uh, suggestions. How do we? Yeah.
0: Well, guess what? We're breaking all the rules.
2: We're gonna reinflate <laughs> this property.
0: Oh hello. Okay. So let's. Okay. So because we told you that we already started to record this one, we are learning from uh, our not mistakes, but our cadence and our tendencies. And instead, this time we are going to start with the synopsis, and then we are going to gush about how much we love Weird Al Yankovic.
2: And, and, some, and some other cast members in this movie who we will also gush about, but please, before Absolutely. the gushing begins, synopsize. George Newman has a big
0: heart and even bigger imagination, but he can't seem to keep a steady job when his uncle wins a deed to U62, a local UHF television station, George is hired to manage along with his best friend, Bob. The station, which typically airs old reruns, is a perfect opportunity for George to explore his imagination with new live shows, such as Town Talk and Okunazi's Clubhouse, in which George and Bob entertain little kids on a shoestring budget. Wanting so badly for the station to succeed, George becomes disheartened when he learns that money is quickly running out his neglect of his personal life takes a hit and his girlfriend Terry leaves him. Feeling shattered, George walks off the set of a particularly dismal episode of Uncle Nutsy to go get a drink with Bob, leaving his doofy janitor, Stanley Spadowski, to take over. At the bar, George laments to Bob about his worthlessness when they are both surprised to see that the bar TV isn't only set to U62, but the entire bar has their eyes glued to the screen as Stanley shines on. A little more about Stanley. He used to be the janitor at local network affiliate Channel 8, run by the nasty old R.J. Fletcher. R.J. fired Stanley because he mistakenly suspects that Stanley threw out some reports. Left with no job and no favorite mop, Stanley runs into George, who offers him a job at U62. Back at the show, Stanley gives a big speech about his new mop that George gave him and how life is like a mop. The crowd goes wild, and George and Bob couldn't be more excited. They continue to expand their original programming and they're selling ads like crazy until they ultimately find out that they're number one in the ratings. This doesn't sit well with RJ Fletcher over at Channel 8. RJ calls over to U62's owner, Harvey Bilchik, George's uncle, and offers to buy the station from him. Luckily for RJ, Harvey got a call from Big Louie, his ominous bookie, and finds out that he owes $75,000. When Georgia's Ann Esther finds out, she forces Harvey to give Georgia a chance to make the money instead. In order to make that much, U62 holds a telethon with Stanley hosting, offering U62 shares at a dollar a pop, giving the community an opportunity to co-own the station that they all love. But RJ's goons kidnap Stanley in an effort to get the telethon to fail. This is where I will introduce you, our ruined Child's audience, to Philo, U62's resident science guy. He runs the station's broadcasts, hosts a science show, and is generally a weirdo. In order to keep a close eye on U62, he sets up a hidden camera in R.J. Fletcher's office. Thanks to that camera, he sees Stanley fighting off R.J.'s goons. Philo tells George immediately, and he bolts over to Channel 8 to rescue Stanley. Unfortunately, George's plan is poorly thought out, and he and Stanley are both outmatched. Luckily, Cooney, George's friend and host of U62's Wheel of Fish, saves the day with some of his karate class students. They rush back to the station, but RJ literally pulls the plug on the entire operation. As he verbally shits all over the U62 fans, George has seconds to spare as Big Louie rolls up in his limo. A local peddler who makes appearances throughout the movie hands George a stack of cash, just enough money to cover the rest of the 75 grand. George gives all of the money to Big Louie, and the station officially belongs to the community. RJ is publicly humiliated. George gives Stanley a trophy to show his appreciation, and Terry gets back together with George. So, Weird Al plays George Newman. We will get into, as I said earlier, our immense love and appreciation for Weird Al very soon. Uh David Bowe plays Bob. Uh Fran Drescher makes an early career appearance as Pamela Finkelstein, the uh incredible news uh the incredible journalist who uh was U62's receptionist until George comes in and, and throws her bone. What's
2: up Dan? Oh, er- early career, but also just want to kind of shout out Fran Drescher in her uh, I don't know if it was her first film performance, but another classic comedy that Fran Drescher played a decent supporting role in, this is Spinal Tap, five of years course, yeah. uh, prior Bobby to Bobby Fleckman. Yep. Bobby,
0: Bobby yep. Fleckman. Oh, she's so good. Um, Michael Richards, another pretty early in his career performance. We've already talked about him in our Transwing 6-5000 episode, but this was just as he was breaking out as in his career, Career defining role We'd, as Cosmo Kramer.
2: Yeah, Seinfeld premiered like three weeks before UHF opened.
0: <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And yeah. he's so good. He's so good in this. Uh, he has this like set of false teeth that just makes him look even doofier than he normally does. And, you know, he's just like everybody knows him for his crazy physical comedy. And, um, man, he just
2: i is so good. we'll come back to it, but I would say of uh, it, of of all of the Michael Richards performances, this is probably the one that I would say has the most acting versus performing,
0: yeah, transiting a six five thousand he was just like a local weirdo, pretty much, yeah, uh, and in this one he's got stuff to do he uh, just really shines. Um, and if anybody has an opportunity to watch a copy of this movie with the commentary by Weird Al and uh, the director Jay levy, um it does there are some appearances by Michael Richards, who does have a lot of fondness for this uh, this role and this stage in his career. and uh, it's fun to listen to. Uh, another person who's who shows up in that commentary is Emo Phillips, who makes an appearance as Joe Early, a uh, a high school shop teacher who is on the an episode of uh, Town Talk.
1: Hello, and welcome to Town Talk. I'm George Newman, and today our special guest is local high school shop teacher Joe Early. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you, home. Well, I see you've brought some equipment with you today. Would you mind giving us a little demonstration? Not at all. There's only a few simple principles you must bear in mind before attempting to operate a sophisticated piece of machinery like this. Table saw.
0: It gives him this look of just like, ugh. It's Mr. Smarty Mr. Pants. egg shot.
3: Sometimes when my human Whoa! Slices
0: his thumb off. What? Blood is squirting everywhere.
3: You believe this?
1: Oh will you look at that? Oh. Just call, call me Mr. Mr. Butterfingers. Butterfingers. <laughs> um I think it's on the the floor somewhere. Oh. Is my face red.
2: He's so good. Oh. Brilliant.
0: I love it. Uh we have um Anthony Geary as Philo, Billy Barty, the incredible Billy Barty as Noodles, MacIntosh, the uh the cameraman who does the the news. So good. What I uh, one thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that okay Billy Barty is a little person yep one one of the original
2: munchkins from the Wizard of Oz
0: one of the original munchkins uh responsible for the ADA Americans with Disabilities Act uh just an incredible person and but this movie treats him with a lot of respect and does not play his size for comedy in a way that's offensive
2: um no, the there, comedy moments. The comedy is yeah. very much on his side. It, the comedy is very yes. much on the side of the character.
0: Absolutely, uh, love noodles, Macintosh. Uh, actually, why don't I play the uh, the our introduce our introduction introduction introduction? No,
1: George, I can't delay the broadcast because the mayor is supposed to be coming out any minute. Where is he? No,
3: I've looked all over. I don't see a Noodles McIntyre.
0: Macintosh, At your service.
2: He's so good. I love the little fanfare. I mean, i Absolutely. sorry. No pun intended.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's wonderful. Um, we have Getty Watanabe as Cooney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, you know, Dr. Demento makes an appearance And the, oh, uh, Kevin McCarthy plays RJ Fletcher, who we talked about in our Inner Space episode. Just the best villain, like 80s villain. Yep, that big,
2: that corporate, like representing the big money, like in Inner Space and in UHF
0: yeah and just to uh give a little taste of that i'm gonna play the the first moment when george meets rj so what happens is a package is mistakenly delivered to u62 and george decides to hand deliver it just to get to know like the you know have like a little the friendly competition and and just to be a nice guy
3: Ready
1: home, I call.
3: Yes, Mr. Fletcher.
1: Hey, R.J. Hi, George Newman, U-62. Say, nice place you got here. You know, I was just thinking, since we're both in the business... Lord, you get
3: this. Do you realize that stealing mail is a federal offense? Hold on, you don't understand. I was... No, you don't understand how serious a crime this is. I think you just better clear out your desk and get out. You're through, mister. But I don't work here. Trespassing, huh? Well, you've got ten seconds to get out before I call the police.
1: Look, look, I just thought we could maybe...
3: Five, four, three... Gee,
1: look at the time. Well, gotta go. Keep in touch.
2: Ugh.
0: They both play off each other so well. Well, And that's
2: right after... uh, Not long after he fires Stanley and then um george meets stanley but n- another character who we meet uh in in that scene and this is i i mean uh w- there's also victoria jackson in the cast and so there right. she's acknowledged for and- better or for worse yep there
0: no she she's great in this. saturday night
2: live this. alum victoria jackson this is before she went
0: just like completely off the rails yeah yeah
2: you know um, so, but uh, you know, what prompted us to finally do this episode because this is one of those movies that I think John and I could just talk about whenever, and yeah. we not that we need to rewatch it to be able to talk about it, but of course we both did, and uh, but oh, I watched it
0: first, straight, and then I watched it again with commentary,
2: okay, straight, no chaser, and then yeah, okay, yeah, uh, so. Yeah. So, uh, but what prompted us to say this is the time we're doing UHF? It's time. The unfortunate passing of John Paragon, who plays uh, R.J. Fletcher's son Richard uh, in in UHF. You would also know him as Jombie from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, the voice of t- a familiar, if not a familiar name, definitely a familiar face and certainly a familiar voice.
0: Yeah. And John Paragon, the way that he plays Richard in this movie is very much like, you know, he's still like daddy's little boy in his mind. His dad doesn't give a shit about him. He's but like
2: he's kind of like I, how I imagine he's kind of like 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 Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. Like minus <laughs> yeah, so the cocaine. Is, uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Eh. This is a clip from uh,
0: when he comes in to tell RJ about the telethon.
1: Hey Dad, you better turn on channel sixty-two. Something funny is going on.
0: I
2: love it. (laughs) But that's totally Uh, like, hey Dad, you better turn on Rachel Maddow. Yeah, something,
0: (laughs) something funny. They're talking
2: indictments. (laughs) (laughs) I could, yeah. So, So, yeah. So anyway. Rest yeah, in power, it, pour one out. Yeah, definitely pour one out for for John Paragon. Uh who I did have the the opportunity to meet um outside That's right. yeah uh the Pee Wee's bigot uh Pee Wee sorry, the Pee Wee Herman show uh on on Broadway. So uh I was starstruck.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um I unfortunately did not have the opportunity to see that show i really wish i could have and um yeah i I, thought you had seen it i thought you saw it in i had not seen it no i don't know why i didn't but i did not make it to that show
2: all this time in my in my are files of of beliefs, things that I've believed to be true. I need Your to files mo- of beliefs. I need Do You to- have a filing cabinet that
0: just says beliefs.
2: Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> beliefs about myself. Beliefs about the world. Beliefs about other people. So now I need to go into the John file, <laughs> and I need to I I need to uh, amend that belief. So say John did uh, not see the Pee Wee Herman stage show.
0: No, I. Uh, but if we're talking about uh, brushes with people that are in UHF. Yes, um, I did sit behind Emo Phillips at a um, at a show at the I O Improv Theater in L A., which I don't know if it exists anymore. And I was very starstruck at that moment because Emo Phillips is kind of like frozen in time; it's just always very much Emo Phillips. And I did uh, i I was in uh, Outside of the UCB theater in LA on Franklin, uh, Weird Al was hanging out there uh, because he was in a little show that I saw there. It was, I think that it was a um, an improv show that was kind of like based on people's like weird early career moments. Mm-hmm. So I think that he showed a video from when he was touring with maybe fat or something. And it was like on a Japanese television. No, it was eat it. It was on a Japanese television show and he didn't know what was going on. And there were just people on the show as they were playing, just like eating crazy things. It was very, very weird. (laughs) And he had no idea like what was going on. He just was like, I don't know. You know, it's just like he, his career just like took off and, all of a sudden, he's playing on a Japanese television show. And, you know, it's like, you know, a quick rise to fame for Weird Al, which is well-deserved. And he amazingly came out on the other side of it extremely well-adjusted and is known to be just like one of the nicest people in entertainment. And you just believe it. Well,
2: first of all, I have to wonder if his experience on that show inspired any of what we see in UHF, uh, whether it's the you know Stanley Spadowski uh, clubhouse or Cooney's Wheel of Fish. I, I wonder Maybe. if any of that was uh, was in there. But uh, no. So actually, um, a, a little uh, bit that I've learned about about Weird Al is he's actually he's a, you know, fairly uh, religious person uh christian and you know like yeah oh, i didn't know yeah that. and and uh, i don't know how else to say this but like you know in the good way um like actually like like right. actually following the you know sure. the word and uh you know he doesn't swear doesn't doesn't drink uh, doesn't use use drugs. I know he's a vegetarian. I, he's a vegetarian. He even he's been quoted as saying like he tries to be vegan, but he slips. Right. So um but yeah, so weird Al just This
0: is of course post Twinkie Wiener sandwiches. Uh,
2: yeah, of course. Well, you know, I don't does he actually take a bite out of it? Oh, uh, he does. Yeah, he talks he does. about it on
0: the commentary track yeah. about how he how many of those he had to eat that day. Yeah, and he said that this was before he became a vegetarian.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it was from his. Uh, I think his his wife when they met. I um I think kind mm. of in- inspired him. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so Weird Al just kind of uh rep- reputed reputed to be one of the most genuinely nice people in yeah. uh in show business and uh and actually and John just ba- like loves and he just loves comedy like he just loves oh. to be uh, you he know he loves like, entertainment yeah he loves like Absolutely. he's so you know into everything but before we move on as we're talking about yeah. personal Sorry. connections it's so
0: easy for us to get into oh this. it is but Go i ahead. didn't
2: want to miss because we're talking about personal connections to the film and i don't think you've Acknowledge your closest personal connection to a person in UHF because... Oh! Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, that's right. So, I went to a, a summer camp, a performing arts summer camp, and uh, one of the counselors there, you know, of course, this person is going to be uh, a few years older than I am, was uh, Jeff Maynard, who might not sound familiar to most... But he is the uh the kid with the library books that are overdue in the Conan the librarian segment of um of u h f who gets sliced in half <laughs> by an an Arnold impersonator <laughs> playing Conan
2: yeah not Conan. weird al
0: not weird al not weird al and uh yeah, just. Brilliant. So it was uh, quite a moment when it was like, oh my God, it's the guy from UHF. And it's like, yeah.
2: He's got a, that's a featured, that's a memorable featured moment in the film. And I
0: will also say this. I don't, I can't say for sure uh, how it went down, but in the commentary track for UHF, Weird Al did his homework. He came prepared and he had the name of every small character like the every actor who came and made an appearance in that movie he mentioned every single person by name he gave the exact addresses for the filming locations oh in Tulsa like right? everything in Tulsa mm-hmm. that's right and uh yeah it, it's like I'm sure he had them written down but like to do that really shows appreciation for everything that went into making this movie you know, a lot of commentary tracks, it'll be people just talking about their personal experience, like just how they viewed things. But he talks about every single aspect of this movie with, a, with high regard.
2: And that's, I mean, it just speaks to his, that like genuineness of, of Weird Al. And yeah. I mean, because honestly it takes being genuine to be weird. Yeah. And to, I mean, <laughs> not to mention to put it out there and, and, and advertise it and make a career <laughs> right. out of yeah. it. I mean, damn, he's been, the, uh, his first album came out in 1983, but I think the first single got played on Dr. Demento in like 76. Was that another
0: one, Rides the Bus?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Another one, Rides the Bus, which that might have been the one, it's either that or like My Bologna that was mm-hmm. recorded in like a dormitory bathroom.
0: You know, I have, like, the Weird Al coffee table book signed. I don't know. If, did you get that for me? Did Scott get that? Somebody got that for me. I uh, had it signed for me, which was... Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, my good buddy, Eric Gosslin, previous guest on the show, uh, he had gotten that for me because Weird Al was a guest on a show that he was producing. And, um, yeah. That's awesome. So... Uh yeah, it's not I have another weird Al autograph that is not a that was not directed specifically to me. I was at Amoeba Music in LA and I found a copy of even worse that was just in the used records that was signed to somebody named Angel, and I have that one framed. So if anyone asks, call me Angel. But, in the morning uh, or in the morning, yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, and it's it's just so cool. Um, when you find a a, a signed Weird Al record I, in the like you know used
2: yeah, record it's bin. so cool when that happens. The one time it happens that it happens to you, who I, it happened. Yeah, I would. Lo- I'd I'm be interested to know. So hey, if you've ever found a signed copy of a Weird Al <laughs> album in in a record store, in a used record store, uh, in a used bin, shoot us an email, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com, and let, us, right. know, let us know where you found it. You know, let's give them a shout-out. Record store day is coming up. And, uh, yeah, who you know, maybe this will send people, like, go to the shelves, hit the shelves, look for your signed Weird Al.
0: Okay, I'm going to take it a step further. If you can prove to us that you have a signed Weird Al record that you found in a used record bin, we will uh, send you some ruined childhoods merch. How about that?
2: Oh yeah! But you
0: have to be able to prove that it's not direct, that it's not specifically for you. We need to see receipts.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, receipts. it can't be specifically for you. We need a you.
0: picture of you in the in the like used record bin. Yeah
2: rummaging uh-huh uh yeah so Absolutely. anyway uh, <laughs> Oh sorry we were talking about uhf weren't we uh yeah <laughs> so the thing is like this movie
0: was written by weird al and jay levy who's um weird al's manager and it was just like it's a movie that's written with the idea of like you know a, it's a pretty standard plot that's designed to kind of house What Weird Al is most known for, which is parodies of things. So you have parodies of commercials, parodies of TV shows like Geraldo, and you have, um, I don't know, just these- Movie, movie
2: parodies. You have movie parodies, Gone with
0: the Wind. Conan the Librarian.
2: Right. I mean, the movie opens.
0: But you also have a song parody with the uh, Money for Nothing, uh, Beverly Hillbillies- which, Song by and the way, music video. fits
2: perfectly into the movie and fits into the plot because he falls asleep while he's working at the station. He misses his dinner with Terry and her and her parents. And yes. it also it really like shows you the inner workings like this is how this guy's mind works is he takes different aspects of pop culture and puts them together and makes it work together which is i mean how george newman's mind works and i imagine how weird al's mind works because you've got like the you've got the gandhi 2 parody with uh, with the like shaft music which is uh jay levy as gandhi right right yeah i mean Um, and uh, the movie opens and not actually, so it opens with the Raiders of the Lost Ark parody. Indeed it does. And which I mean, stealing the statue. Yeah. So many gags right in the beginning. Uh, and which is interesting because this movie opened about two months after Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of, you know, just playing on that, I imagine and
0: yeah, yeah. I I mean, what what I love about this movie. Well, one of the things I love about this movie is that it picks up on things that are popular, you know, in that era. Rambo, you know, and and it it plays with them in a really fun way that's not disrespectful.
2: Close Encounters of the Third Kind. so Close, Spielberg right, for two. To, <laughs>
0: a, to a bit of a lesser extent, I'd say well, that's just kind of a moment that happens. It's not like a full. Yeah, it's the mess. It's dream sequence or anything, right?
2: No, no, no. It's the, right. The Rambo sequence is very much a yeah, fantasy. Yeah.
0: But the but the Indiana Jones sequence plays. It's the very first thing that we see. It launches you into the movie in a way where you're just like, okay, I I know what I'm in store for right now. And it comes out of that sequence where he's daydreaming, and he and his buddy Bob are working at a burger joint. And I'm just going to play the clip now. And it's essentially the first lines of the movie, if you take out anything that's in the Indiana Jones moment, which is irrelevant to the plot.
3: George.
1: Hello. Earth to George. George! Ah! Are you daydreaming again? No, no. I was just uh, (laughs) admiring how clean and shiny this grill is. Come on, George. We're busy here. You know what the problem is? Nobody here appreciates a guy with a good imagination. Well, at least not the people at the lumberyard, or the miniature golf course, or Floyd's Fish Market, or any of the other places you worked in the last month, right? Yeah, well, someday, someday they'll be sorry. They'll be eating breakfast or something, and all of a sudden they'll say, Hey! We screwed up! We never should have fired George Newman because he's got imagination.
0: So clearly somebody read like save the cat or whatever. And it's just like, how much information can we get into this like first moment? It's like establishing Mm -hmm. like who this character is, who his friend is exactly where he is in his life. Got fired from the lumber yard and so on and so forth. Like it sets everything up so well, but in a way that you just accept. Well, yeah,
2: I, yeah, it, it's kind of, and it was, I, I think, less out of place because as I was listening to the list of, of you know, Floyd's Fish Market and everything, I right, think yeah. I'm thinking, like, well, there's not a franchise or a chain, uh, uh, you know, in sight or that even really exists in this world. No. So it, it's refreshing. And I think that that was less out of place in the late 80s than right. it is Now, but it's still, it's kind of set in this other, you know, alternate like Weird Al Yankovized universe.
0: Right. And which is what makes a character like Stanley Spadowski make sense that somebody like this would exist in this world where it's just like this doofy guy that, I don't know, exists just in his own world.
2: And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's just, you know, he's he has his passions his mop yeah you know i'm going to play
0: a yeah. clip from uh when when george uh d- decides to walk off of the set of uncle Nutsy's clubhouse and uh, oh yeah and just has stanley go on
1: i need a drink you don't drink yeah but i've been meaning to start wait a minute what about the rest of the show oh, watch out mr coyote oh it's Stanley. Yeah, George. How would you like your own TV show? Okay. You're on. What are you doing? Are you crazy?
0: So the entire time he's just like, you know, he's got his mop, but he's just eyes glued to this cartoon. And uh, of course, that leads into this scene where we learn a little bit more about, you know, George and, you know, described it earlier as like, you know, he's just displaying his worthlessness but this is where we start to see stanley really shine
1: george what about bob it doesn't matter anymore it's over yeah we're watching it too yeah i've never seen anything like it okay play gentlemen what can i get you beer blueberry daiquiri tell you what george let's start fresh Uh, start a whole new business Maybe we could borrow some money from your Uncle Harvey. Oh, right. We just flushed his TV station down the toilet. I'm sure he'd be happy to lend us money. So I guess Terry's never going to speak to you again, huh?
0: Bashes his head on the table. Hey, I didn't get an umbrella. Look, everybody, he's coming back
2: off. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a biker bar, isn't (laughs) it?
0: Welcome back to Stanley Spodowski's Clubhouse.
3: Are you kids having a good time? Hey, how about that cartoon? That was a weird cartoon, wasn't it? You know, that cartoon, it reminds me of a dream I had last week and I turned into a bird with a candy bar head. And then there was these other birds, you know, they're all trying to eat my head and everything, but I got away from them. And then, then there was this tree, you know, and there was this weird lizard, you know. What the? Ooh!
0: Pulls a lizard out of his pants. Whoa!
3: Whoa! 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 I, I want to show you something. I want to... I want to show you something. This is my new mop. George, my friend, he gave me this mop. It's a pretty good mop. It's not as good as my first mop. I miss my first mop. But this is still a good mop. Sometimes you just have to take what life gives you. Because life is like a mop. And sometimes life gets... Full of dirt and crud and bugs and hairballs and stuff. You 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 gotta clean it out. You, you 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 gotta put it in here and rinse it off and start all over again. And and sometimes sometimes life sticks to the floor so bad. You know, a mop a mop is not good enough. It's not good enough. You you gotta get down there like with a toothbrush, you know. And you gotta you gotta really scrub. You gotta you gotta get it off. You gotta really try to get it off. But if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work. You can't give up. You gotta, you better stand right up. You, you gotta run to a window and say, "Hey, these floors are dirty as hell, and I'm not going to take it
2: anymore." Network. Yes, man. So that's what I'm talking about, man. That's St- Stanley Spadowski's. That's in the Michael Richard Michael Richards Oscar clip for for 1989. He is that. That's like probably when I think about acting versus performing. That's kind of one of those moments where Michael Richards just really makes a connection to the character, uh, to the situation, and and it's it's kind of one of those times where you get the sense of uh, the the character's history and what the character has gone through to get to this point where he's got a new mop and now has this hit TV show. Yeah,
0: so Michael Richards, uh, I don't I don't know. I think that the first part of that was actually improvised and then it let the mop thing I think was all scripted. So ah, I just love it. It's, it's wonderful. And and you know, and to see uh, you know, George and Bob just like freaking out. Though I mean I do have a bit of an issue with that scene where it's like, first of all, how did these guys, how were they just watching, you know, George's uncle Nutzy's clubhouse? Like they had to have had it on the channel. And uh, then also it's like, we, uh, we leave George leaves while the cartoon is going on. And it seems like, They get to the bar, and the cartoon is just ending.
2: And that's strange because when we see the outside of the building, it's pretty much isolated, so it's not like they just went like next door. Are you saying that there's there's, not... Are you saying there's a lack of logic?
0: Well, maybe a little bit, but what I'm saying is Stanley wouldn't have been on screen yet because the cartoon was still the same cartoon because he refers to the you know roadrunner cartoon or whatever
2: anyway yeah i mean i guess when i watch it i think i wonder i'm like is it another cartoon did they did they go to a different cartoon like how much of the how much of the show like how long did it take them yeah so i guess it, it would help if you are really if if look if you go and watch UHF and this is a sticking point for you then what i would say is convince yourself that in the time it took them to go to the bar, and uh, it was there's a commercial on when they get there, right? Is it a commercial? Oh yeah, I yeah. guess there must have been. So yeah. they get to the bar. Imagine that it takes them enough time that Stanley would have had another segment because by the time he comes on in the bar, it's like he's been hosting the show for a good like you know two or three seasons.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, clearly the bartender is on the phone with somebody who's making sure that he has it on U62. Yeah, for some reason it's, I always imagine it's like
2: another bar owner.
0: Yeah, right? It's like your bar has to be watching what our bar's watching. <laughs> anyway, it's amazing. Um, but so we should talk a little bit about UHF channels to begin with because this is something <laughs> that I uh, I, you know, and and Weird Al talks about this on the commentary track, but like it was a little odd to be, you know, talking so much about a UHF station during a time, you know, it, that was '89. You know, cable was a thing and in, and in increasing in popularity, and people were not really watching antenna television so much anymore. And UHF channels, which is ultra high frequency, are, you know, just those like non-network stations that come in kind of weird on your TV and, you know, just have who knows. I mean, just reruns of Beverly Hillbillies on it or something.
2: Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, like I had at the time this movie came out, I... I was uh tw- I was 12 or almost I was 11 going on 12 and had a TV that I had found in the basement of our house that You found it? What? You just found it? I mean y- yes <laughs> like <laughs> Do you ever go into that like storeroom where
0: Oh, I didn't know that you yeah. just like found a TV in there. So,
2: oh, and for those who who might not know, John and I are brothers. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so when I refer to like our fathers, I'm actually referring to our father. It's not like a spiritual or religious thing. Right. Uh, no, so no, when no, I no. talk about like our father's, you know, quote unquote shop room where tools and old National Geographics uh, were, uh-huh. were kept. Uh, yeah. So there was, I mean, there was a TV, it it was a i think a 13 inch black and white and it had a UHF dial on it of course yeah. and i was like oh wow i'm like there's this type of programming on a UHF station not so much yeah
0: <laughs> well but that's that's the thing and you know it's it's similar to you know uh, especially on like cable channels uh, or cable programs there's like local access stations which you know if you're not so familiar with it's you know like where Wayne's world would would have been on the local access station and uh you know we had channel 35 where we grew up TV and
2: 35 yeah TV
0: 35 where I volunteered I did uh I was a camera operator for like football like high school football games and then some weird like in studio shows where did you do total
2: sports would- with Ed toy
0: I think that I did an episode or two of that. I it's so it's so long ago. It's, it's so the hard to only, remember.
2: It's the only like actual show that I can remember being on TV thirty five. Otherwise, it was just like they were playing, you know, tours of the historical society. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not the yeah. one you were
0: on. Where? The, oh, jo- right, the tour of the historical society where Josiah Crane, founder of Cranford, uh, where Josiah Crane's. Um, a proxy was uh, got heat stroke and collapsed on a child.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, TV 35 at, yeah. I mean, otherwise they were just like replaying like graduation ceremonies and.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know what? And it's like, man, I wish that when I was a, a kid, I had the foresight. Se- I mean, of course, you know, it's easy to think about that kind of stuff now, but it's like, you know, thinking about the people who took advantage of local access television stations at the time, uh, people like um, Chris Gethard, you know, the Chris Gethard show, getting it start on local access and then just kind of taking off. And, you know, Chris Gethard, uh, very special in his comic sensibilities in his own right, But, uh, you know, really, really launched something with the Chris Gethard show of just like this group of weirdos and and also like people like Jake Fogelnest, Mm -hmm. who started Squirt TV on like a local access thing. And then it got picked up by MTV. And... Like he was a kid. He was 13 when that was going on.
2: It's 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 crazy. And uh, you know, when you when you were talking about being the the camera operator, it made me think of Luby Washington, who plays the camera operator yeah. in UHF. Who, uh, uh, pour,
0: drinking the entire pot of coffee during the telethon.
2: Yeah. I mean, pour one out, <laughs> but
0: he's like, yes, I yes, don't yes, know yes.
2: if he says a word in the movie, nope. but his expressions, his reactions, fantastic add so much. So yeah. shout out to Luby Washington.
0: And along, uh, you know, just because I mentioned him, um, Jake Fogelnest along with weird Al both make appearances in the last movie that I saw in a theater, my return to the theaters, the documentary, the Sparks Brothers about the band Sparks, which um, is fantastic. It's so good. And uh, Weird Al, you know, definitely, it, you know, in a lot of ways influenced by Sparks as as many musicians were. Um, you know, I think a lot about the way that they would use like old, tv sound effects Mm -hmm. in their songs that you know i'm pretty sure like the same like cheesy gunshot that's in this town ain't big enough for the both of us is in a polka right right yeah yeah and uh yeah it's it's just so much fun and yeah it was it was really great to see Weird Al on the big screen once again I know. It's, I mean, other- even if it's just as himself. Well, it's funny. He was so uh, Edgar Wright, who directed the Sparks Brothers, um, you know, when it says like the name of the person and then like who they are, for some of them, it's pretty funny. Like it's like Beck, see above. <laughs> and for Weird Al, it says accordion player.
2: So <laughs> nice. uh,
0: it's just so great. I
2: mean, he really is the kind of like most mainstream accordion player. He really made the accordion central to his act even as his music got i mean like the accordion is all over the first album right but yeah i mean like you even hear like he's got the polkas on every album on the uhf soundtrack it was the hot rocks polka all rolling stone songs usually the polkas were like whatever was popular whatever songs were really popular in the couple of years uh between
0: yeah so yeah it's it's albums. a medley of cover songs, um, of popular songs. And, uh, yeah, there are so many of them where it's like, I definitely knew those songs from the polkas before I knew the actual songs, or I knew Weird Al's parodies of songs before I actually knew the real songs. I knew
2: King of Suede years before (laughs) I ever heard King of Pain.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably the case for most people in King of Pain.
2: I mean, people who weren't already fans of the... Like, you know, people who were like, you know, kids like us who would have discovered Weird Al before the police.
0: It was also a long time before I knew about MacArthur Park, and I just thought Jurassic Park was its own standalone thing. Oh. And, yeah, you know, it's just like some of these things are a little bit more obscure than others. And I... I, I got to say, like, on his latest albums, I feel like there's some of his best stuff. You know, Word Crimes, his parody of Blurred Lines. Word, is Word Crimes
2: is fantastic, especially for a, a, a grammar nerd as such as myself. Yeah. It, Word Crimes well, was also, a gift. And uh, also, at the,
0: at the end of an episode recently, the uh, Three Days of the Condor played the song um, Party in the CIA, which is a... A parody of Miley Cyrus's "Party in the USA," mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're so good. His his parody of Lords Royals as Foil is so funny and takes a weird, dark turn. And uh, yeah, he's great. So, so Weird Al albums for anybody who somehow is listening to this and it does not know too much about Weird Al's music. The albums are those polkas, the the medley songs. As polkas uh the parodies, original songs, most of which are in the style of another popular artist they are
2: pastiche,
0: yeah, and
2: uh his he's so good he's he's also got a great voice, oh, yeah, and a voice that has really been consistent from the beginning yeah. of his career to now, but it's actually something that I I was thinking about in terms of Weird Al and, you know, uh, his last album, 2014's Mandatory Fun, which yeah. I listened to. I didn't listen to the whole thing. And I wonder, I don't know if it's just because like I'm older and also not, not necessarily older, but just like, I don't necessarily listen to pop music, but I tend to think that in the eighties and and nineties, it was it was much more of a sure thing that a majority of people would get that. Like you, you mentioned the Lords Royals, and right. I have never, to the best of my knowledge, I've not heard that song. Now, chances are I could hear it and I'd be like, "Oh, okay, I've heard I've heard right. that somewhere," but I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard it, so to enjoy. Weird Al's, it's kind of like with his, with the albums from the 80s. So when I started getting into Weird Al around, uh, you know, mid to late 80s before UHF. Yeah. It was, there was a mix of songs, uh, songs that I knew, like, you know, all the Michael Jackson stuff. And I think like Eat It, actually Eat It was the first. I remember seeing the video for Eat It in our grandparents' basement in Rahway, New Jersey. And because that was the only holidays were the only times because our dad would not, uh, would not let us watch MTV. Right. Right. MTV
0: was, you know, still very new and scary. Yeah, no, it was
2: very scary. Like watching MTV could have, I don't, I don't know, gotten us into all sorts of weird, weird out. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, no, because actually the first video I ever remember seeing, I think on MTV was Mickey. The oh, yeah, Tony okay. Basil, which which is kind of a trippy video. Uh, Ricky, oh no, Mickey, 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 not Ricky. The, uh, <laughs> not I saw Ricky. that one much later on, but uh, he and that's another thing, like he's parodying things like, uh, you know, I love Lucy, and it's kind of like at that time, even though I love Lucy had been on the air like, like 25, 30 years earlier. Right. It was still it was kind of like if you didn't grow up watching it in its original run, you grew up watching it on re- like your are homesick from with school, Beverly Hillbillies, same with Beverly Hillbillies. Exactly. So it was something that I thought about with Beverly Hillbillies. Not not. I mean, and for that matter, money for nothing, because it's kind of like um, if if Weird Al did a, uh, I, I'll take, a, I'm trying to think of bands that I listen to, like Lord Huron, probably the right. the newest band that I listen to, or like Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Like if he did one of their songs, how many people would no. get it?
0: <laughs> no. And the thing, you know, he has an appreciation for new trends in music yeah. and is not afraid to like you know celebrate them and people like miley cyrus or lord no to Hannah. his credit yeah
2: he stays very current and his parodies yeah. do not mock the the singer it, it no i
0: think the only enemy he's ever made might be coolio
2: oh yeah they had, they
0: had beef with uh um, oh, paradise
2: actually yeah no that's true because coolio felt that because gangster's paradise was very serious yeah
0: and also, Prince never gave him permission to uh, to do a parody.
2: So, so that means we won't actually get a recording of Raspberry Beignets, which if you follow Weird which Al he on about this Twitter morning, or Instagram, or, yeah. yeah, he posted uh, from a bakery window Raspberry Beignets and he, his caption was the kind you buy in a secondhand store. And of course, every response to the tweet is a new lyric. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I, I mean... It's Weird Al. He is the only person who's allowed to, to do this. I mean, well, that's he not kind of really has, true. But he, but, but it's kind of like he's the best at it.
2: He's the best at it, and it's anybody else doing song parodies, as evidenced by the large number of miscredited. There's a whole website devoted to song parodies that are have been miscredited to Weird Al. Oh yeah, and huh. it, it, like as demonstrated by that, it's kind of like. If you're not, if you're doing song parodies, you're doing it like there's no way to around doing it like Weird Al. I mean, I think there's like there's the Richard Cheese and Dan Band takes on it where it's Richard Cheese doing the lounge versions. Dan Band just yeah. taking songs sung by women and adding profanity. But yeah. Song parodies, it's kind of like, and why the hell isn't Weird Al in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean...
0: That's a fantastic
2: question. He has been holding up this industry and celebrating it for uh, almost 40 years. For for over 40 years, actually.
0: And also, it's just like comedy music as a genre. You know, of course, there were people... Like Doctor Demento, who would celebrate those, you know, weird comedic, you know, those people. Of course, like Alan Sherman yeah, you're- and stuff, like you know, who would do like funny music. Fish heads. That a was while. a song
2: I remember seeing on Doctor Demento. Totally.
0: Yeah, and then Julie Brown. Um, Julie weird Brown
2: was Al- another big uh, Doctor Demento mm-hmm. from Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. yeah,
0: and then you know, it's just like Weird Al really just took this genre and elevated it, and now you have a lot of an- incredible, you know, comic musicians. Um, people like Garfunkel and Oates or, uh, you know, Allie Gertz. There's so many people who are doing comedy music and it's, it's awesome. Right. It's just really fun. And there are people who are, you know... Who Weird Al knows and is kind of like signed off on them, essentially. Oh yeah. Well
2: he's incredibly supportive of others yeah. in the in the industry. And it's not it's not his fault that he has kind of defined it. I mean, I feel like it's almost like Kleenex, where if you're if you're gonna talk about a, a song parody, you'll be like, oh, when are we gonna hear the Weird Al version of that?
0: Right. Even yeah. if you even if it's yeah. not gonna
2: be Weird Al doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Dan, you were talking a little bit about how you first more, more or less became aware of Weird Al with the, the Eat It video. Do you remember when UHF came out, what your experience was like seeing it?
2: Yes. Uh, and w- so we all went together. It was uh, I knew that I saw it
0: in the theater. I could not remember the circumstances. We
2: saw but- it with a uh, w- uh, good friend and former, former guest, Jeff Rubin. Of course, yeah. Uh, His mother, Merrill, might have uh, stuck around, or maybe she went. uh, She might have gone shopping during. We saw it at the Linden uh, Linden movie theater in Linden, New Jersey, the old Linden movie theater. And one thing I really remember about this movie theater was that the you kind of had to angle your head to see the screen. You kind of had to turn your head a little bit. It's kind of like the seats are facing. It's kind of like when, when you're watching a movie at someone's house and you're, you get like the last seat and like you get there late or something. Yeah. And you're kind of like, you're, you're looking off to the side to see the when screen. When they
0: built this theater, they certainly only measured once.
2: Right. And whoever, I don't, whether it was whoever installed the seats or installed like some, yeah, someone, someone screwed up or someone just didn't care. But I remember, I mean, it it obviously didn't affect our enjoyment of the film because here we are talking about it. But I, I do, I definitely remember seeing it in that, in that movie theater. Uh, the only other, I'm trying to think of the other movies that I remember seeing in that movie theater were, um, I'm pretty sure that's where I saw Die Hard 2. Okay. Die Harder. And um, I definitely saw La Bamba there.
0: Oh, okay. And I
2: remember at one point, I I remember it's one of the only movies that I ever... I didn't walk out of it in the sense that like, oh, this is terrible. But I walked out because I did not want to see the plane crash. I thought that we were going to see the plane crash. And not just kind of dissolve as the plane is taking off. Yeah. So I remember when they got on the, on the plane and the plane took off. And by the way, and I know that we're, I, this is a bit of a tangent here, but, um, I always wondered why the, the movie walk hard, which I guess somewhat uh-huh. related cause it's a, a parody. Why Walk Hard, which 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 spoofs so many of those rock biopics? Yeah. Why they didn't do something where like where it's Dewey Cox who loses the the coin toss? The coin toss,
0: yeah. I that, mean, maybe that would have been a little question.
2: maybe. I mean, I, I guess maybe that might have Maybe a little insensitive. A little insensitive.
0: Although, I mean, <laughs> I mean, know, when did that come so out? Two thousand
2: like nine, or. At the
0: height of insensit insensitivity. Uh well, but
2: also like fifty years well right, later. But yeah. So anyway, uh that was one I mean, like there he's making fun of Brian Wilson Well being
0: but they're all but he's also, you know, you know, there's the whole thing about the brother dying, and isn't that the Ray Charles thing? Or
2: yeah, that was that I'm Ray Charles or, or Johnny one. Cash? I think that was John I think that are both that was that was I, Johnny Cash, but losing the sense of Oh yeah. Like was it taste or smell or something? Smell pre COVID. Yeah. And yeah. uh that was the right that I think it was it was I mean, Ray and Walk the Line were kind of the two big yeah. ones for that. But and that was also something I loved about Walk Hard was that even though there hadn't not yet been a movie about Brian Wilson, they still included right. all the Brian Wilson smile stuff. And oh, then of, of course, course Love and Mercy comes a few years later, but back to UHF.
0: Back to UHF and looking forward with UHF, Dan, because this is Ruined Childhoods and we talk about the future for these movies. Yes.
2: uh, What would you do with this? Okay. So lots of, lots of, lots of possibilities here. Um, What I decided to, to go with here is, uh, is a sequel Okay. And you uh so basically the plot is is here here's the plot for for my sequel and um yeah, I don't know what you would call it. I know uh screenwriter Brian Lynch on Twitter uh mentions 2HF every now and again right. as his idea. Um so I don't that could totally work, but I have other ideas. So basically you open It it's it's 1989. We're in we're in you know it's 1989 Tulsa, and um you've got a TV addicted twelve year old like imagine like a young Frank Cross from Scrooge who's just like glued to the TV right who is taping got the VCR hooked up and is just like obsessed with U sixty two okay this kid and I said twelve I think mainly just because that was around my age. At that time, okay. Um, but you could go a little bit younger as well, I'm sure. So just recording tape after, just like loving U62 so much, and just VHS tape after VHS tape, like you see that he's taping over like bar mitzvahs. I mean, maybe not in Tulsa, but you know, or like family <laughs> reunions and and things like that. He's taping over that with like just hours and hours of Stanley Spadowski and. All the you know um, uh, wheel of fish and all that. So you kind of you start with that. You start with maybe like the flashback kind of ends with him making a a a donation or like you know taking his 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 dad's credit card or something. And uh-huh. just like maxing it out and like buying U U sixty two shares, um, which comes back later. So we flash forward. Oh, I don't know, thirty odd years, and he or she or she, um, okay. is is grown up, and they run a uh oh, they've got like a I, whether it's a website or a YouTube channel, okay. but that's just like they're streaming U sixty two videos or they're like maybe it's youtube and they're posting all these old used u62 videos and you see how you know you have people talking you know leaving comments on the videos and saying like going down rabbit holes and you kind of can see maybe their montage style about how like all these u62 videos go viral um it makes me think of Winnebago man as, as well. Uh, uh-huh. so it, you know, with people just discovering it online. So now you've got, you've got your big media company, not a, not a television affiliate, of course, anymore, but a big media conglomerate, um, headed up, uh, you know, by, Oh, I don't know. Maybe someone played by Jeff Goldblum and, maybe. um, okay. and, uh, they, they're starting to like steal ideas, and the and mm. the 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 now grown up kid sees this, and um, the only person who can really do anything about it is is George. So like the kid is trying to sue, and they're like, yeah, but no, it's not your creative content or whatever. I don't know. Uh, as as we've already established, uh, logic is not a priority here. Okay, so he has to go off and find George. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a UHF uh sequel without some parody so we enter into a kind of take on the revenant where uh where the kid like finds george after george has has you know like f- fought a bear okay his bare hands or something like that and uh you know i don't know maybe i i i was thinking you could like parody revenant and grizzly man at the same time and like like the kid finds them and they're fighting and then it just turns out to be like the the bear is teaching george like mixed martial arts or something and like okay. they're friends i don't whatever uh so so the kid kind of gets george and like yeah no they're like seriously stealing all of these ideas and, uh, so they team up, but the, and now, and they're trying to, to stop, uh, you know, big, big media from, from stealing their ideas. And so they have to find, uh, they have to find a lawyer. And unfortunately it's hard for them to find, uh, you know, to find, a, a you know, a, a good lawyer, they get shot down by all of the you know, the, the big attorneys in town. So they turn to, uh, an attorney who, uh, you know, used to be a big corporate lawyer for big media and, and then got like just worn out and everything. So she's just practicing family law. So you have this lawyer played by Gina Davis, not Susan, not Susan Sarandon in a take on the client, but Gina Davis in a take on, reggie love <laughs> so so you're reuniting gina davis and
0: jeff Goldblum. yes
2: yes and but what's funny is like so gina you kind of meet gina davis and she's more of like just the um you know more of like the the gina davis of of beetlejuice or like a league of their own the kind of down to earth okay. or thelma and louise the kind of like down to earth gina davis uh and then once she gets and it's it's hard for her, she doesn't wanna she's like, oh no, I d di- I don't wanna do anything with big media and I don't wanna do that. And but then she something happens, it clicks, and Charlie Baltimore. <laughs> she uh, she okay. kind of she kind of Charlie Baltimore is a little bit. Not 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 in a like specific, like if you haven't seen the long kiss goodnight, you won't get it way. But in a if you have seen the long kiss goodnight, you'll have a little more appreciation for it. So okay. Where, so, right, and she goes to fight Jeff, and maybe, maybe there's some sort of past connection between her character and Jeff Goldblum's character, maybe, maybe not, okay. I don't know, I'm I'm kind of dreaming, yeah, I mean, I think it would be great, so, but then their, of course, the their legal funds dry up, because the corporate attorneys know what to do, and they know, they're like, we just need to keep those billable hours piling up, and they won't be okay. able to pay, so what do they have to do? An old school telethon online. They have to do it. it's like a go. They do like a they crowdsource because that's what they were doing in right. They yeah, yeah, like they did a GoFundMe before it existed. So now they're like, we've done this before, and now people actually know what it is. So and then maybe like maybe Philo returns from Zarkon. Like maybe uh m- maybe maybe George has like one of those a little like a signaler device, kind of like they give to uh um
0: Courtney Cox yeah
2: to Courtney Cox and Masters of the Universe and I knew what you're not directly (laughs) spoofing that but uh so we're like Philo comes back and there's I'm imagining this like climaxing in a in a in a trial and that's where you could also have a lot of people bring back a lot of people for cameos um like 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 I would love to see Fran Drescher Come back in this. Yeah. I would love to see. Imagine that, like, they have to go find Joe Early and there's, and you know what, you're going to parody there where they have to, they have to go find Joe Early, who's living in this abandoned old house on a hilltop and has scissors for hands.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Or something
2: like that. Like at this point. Wow,
0: and you're really, really thought this one out, huh?
2: I And I, I I actually did this before rewatching the movie. I was like okay. <laughs> thinking about it and not surprising. And uh, I'm thinking about like, you know, who else, uh, you know, so like, do we bring back? Can, so like, can we bring back Anthony Geary? Um, should we bring back Michael Richards? Um, but, and I was thinking, I was like, I don't know who else, but like, does Morgan Freeman play the judge at the end? Like, who do you get to be the, to be the judge? I was thinking for some reason Sam Richardson just feels like he belongs in here. Okay? Somewhere maybe he's the kid who was the I'll never I'll never turn down a Sam Richardson role. No, no, no. I was just I was I was just thinking about him and I was like his delivery, his style, at least what I'm familiar with mostly from VEEP would fit yeah, in really well. I'm looking
0: well. forward to seeing uh, Werewolves within.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing good things. So Uh, yeah. So that's, so that's the idea. Um, a, you know, maybe someone like a a Yorma Tacon would be a good, uh, filmmaker to do it. Or, you know, there, there are a lot of, there are probably a lot of great, uh, comedy filmmakers out there that I'm not thinking of. And it's a great opportunity to get a new voice because you're you're not gonna market you're marketing this around the fact that it's a sequel to this cult classic comedy and weird al is is just beloved so right you can give you can find a director who's not necessarily a name director
0: well you know uh i I think that uh is it a Kiva Schaffer? Um, in The Lonely Island? Yeah. Maybe I'm getting the, mm-hmm. the last name wrong. But he's the one who does the directing, I believe, for the most part.
2: I thought it was... Didn't Yorma do MacGruber?
0: Uh, Akiva Schaffer. Let's see. He did... Um, Sorry uh, for all Yeah, no, this. am I'm pretty... Hot Rod Magruber, Oh, he was executive producer on Magruber, Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure Yorma... Pop star, Never oh. Stop, Never Stopping... Yeah, yeah so like Maguber, who directed those? <laughs> yeah, Yorma directed Magruber. Right. So, but what's interesting is that, you know, you're we didn't mention Lonely Island before, but Lonely Island extremely influenced by Weird Al and, you know, they certainly do a lot of work together and uh that's kind of where my mind went well, th- as well. There's another
2: there's another actor who could play that uh, Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg. I, yeah. I would have no problem with that. So, John, where where were you going with this?
0: So, uh, I mean, I feel like, obviously, this could be a stage musical. Um, that's not really the territory that I was going to go down, but it's, it's all there. It's all there. It's ready to go. Uh, but what I was thinking was actually prequel. I was thinking that I'd love to see uh, an R.J. Fletcher story really get to the core of why he's so rotten and it i don't know i feel like this is kind of a well-worn thing but really love to see you know him at the beginning i I, in a movie called channel eight and um or maybe vhf because that would be the alternative to uhf and You know, it would take place like in the 50s, maybe, you know, seeing RJ Fletcher get his start. Maybe he was somebody with a with a big imagination, but the money is just in reporting the news and just being a network affiliate. I'm imagining like
2: a Mad Men spoof.
0: Yep. (laughs) You know, maybe he did have an imagination, but he was forced into doing this whole network affiliate thing. We get the information from UHF that his father was a very serious man. And, um, yeah, I'd love to just see kind of what changed, what could have been a change in RJ. Because clearly, Richard, RJ's son, is a goofball. And it's like, maybe
2: he was a goofball, too. And, um, yeah. What if, what if he had to like, what if he had to go the corporate route after, after getting, uh, Richard's mother pregnant? Because we don't see or hear anything about Mama Fletcher that's in true. here. So, but what if, what if that was, that was the thing and he had to do that? And that's why he, he despises his yeah. son so much. I mean, much. there's,
0: he despises his son, but he also despises, you know, He's he's just so serious about anybody his who's who despises who's creative. He despises George. Yeah, um, yeah. So lots to explore with that character. I was thinking about all the other characters, and it's just like you know, um, sure it will be interesting to maybe explore Harvey Bilchik's past,
2: or you know, that you know, br- like oh, that brings up an interesting question, though. So. I'm wondering, because they're talking about, like, how Harvey, uh, you know, is doing well at the racetrack. And, and there seems to be this little implication that that maybe there's some type of fix going on that Harvey is in on. Like, the way that he acts about maybe. his good fortune gambling. Like, I'm wondering if, like, if, is Harvey mobbed up? Uh...
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the other thought that I had was, like, do we want to know more about Big Louie? But then I was like, no, Big Louie is perfect as is. Has a fake detachable hand that can be a meat cleaver. Uh, is it not? Is it Mr. You know, Igo
2: from uh from InterSpace? Yeah.
0: Oh my God, the InterSpace connections spooky. Love it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It's you know, it's the Doctor Claw of it all. Right. It's the yeah. the person who you only see from over the shoulder and behind. You only ever see like their arm, you know, um, and it should stay that way.
2: No, I Absolutely. think. I think that 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 works. Uh, I li- I like the young yeah the young R.J. Fletcher story. Would it be a comedy? Oh yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I think that it would be like a dark comedy, one that's maybe like played serious. But uh, I mean, maybe it could even be similar to the way that like Walk Hard plays, where you know, yes, it is a comedy, but there are. You know, funny dramatic elements to it.
2: Would would it play up? Because if we're doing like TV in the fifties, I'm imagining a very misogynistic world. <laughs> sure, uh, yeah. and and racist.
0: <laughs> well, as as we learn from this movie, and I hate to uh, quote, I uh, uh, what is the uh, I don't I don't know if the character has a name. But, uh, oh, my God, I'm looking for the actor's name right now. He's one of the... G- oh, David Prevall. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who says... Uh, broads broads don't belong. Belong in David
2: Prevall. How yeah. did we not mention him before? David Prevall was in, like, Mean Streets, Martin Scorsese's yeah. Mean Streets. He was in The Sopranos for... I, I mean, he was Rich, Richie so, April.
0: Yeah, he's so good in this. Yeah. Uh, when he's got the staples in his face, it's so good.
2: Oh, anyway. yeah. No, there's there's a couple of things. Well, and and that I mean, also it's like he is like that character existed. Like the the that type of person definitely exists. So yeah. I think for him, I think the trouble is that when you start to have a protagonist behaving that way, like for him, for like there may they, like how they torture him and uh, Richard, like you know, mess with noodles and they trip them and, um, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. Whoopsie. It's almost like, it's almost okay because in a movie like this, that's so cartoonish, you know, these are the bad guys and you know, they're going to get what's coming to them.
0: Yes. And what's so great about this is that they truly get what's coming to them because it's not like they just win the station and It ends, like r j uh gets kicked in the nuts uh the the peddler guy who he gives a penny to uh shows him the Rolex that he bought with the penny that was given to him, which happened to be worth a lot of money, oh, and that's which helped him get the uh the shares for for u sixty two
2: that's what he's yelling at Richard about it It'd be about a Rolex about like the watch that he yeah. got him. That or he gives him a watch. Oh, I
0: said I wanted a Rolex. Right.
2: So now, not yeah. only did he give the the pedd- Happy Father's Day,
0: Dad. Dad.
2: <laughs> uh, not only does he give the peddler the penny that ends up being worth all of the, like thousands of dollars, yeah. so that he can buy the. Sh- I mean, I yeah, I don't know if that actor's st- still around, but you, would, I would have to bring him or like in.
0: I, so that's I, Vance Colvig Jr. Let's see what we can find about, find out about him. Uh, he passed away in 1991 at age 72. I believe that he was actually in a lot of things pretty early on. I, I feel like he, lo- he definitely looks voice familiar. Voice of Yogi Bear, voice of Fred Flint. Um, well, no, I don't know if he was the voice of Fred Flintstone. Um, He's got a very familiar no, look. Is- absolutely uh oh he was uh chopper in the on the yogi bear show sorry about that um but yeah, yeah i guess was you would have in a bunch of stuff yeah he was in big top Pee Wee.
2: Oh, okay yeah i think i i i remember was he like one of the clowns in big top Pee Wee? he was yeah that's right okay i think that's where i where he looks familiar to me from
0: yeah um definitely did a lot of uh radio in the 40s so, was a writer for radio in the 40s. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and what's what I also love about him is that, you know, it's... We don't know too much about him. We know that he's, you know, a, a beggar. But also, there's a moment where, like, he's asking for change. And uh, George gives him a bunch of coins. And he counts it out. And he sees that it adds up to a dollar and gives him a dollar bill back.
2: Yeah. So, like uh there's something right so yeah there's something with this character i love the build throughout the movie with with that character as as well and that yeah it's like you you see what you see is not necessarily what you're seeing absolutely yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so uh we could talk all day about uhf I mean, let's just b- we, before
2: we before we go, we should also run down the the soundtrack because the soundtrack to this movie also served as a Weird Al album. Like, there's songs yeah. that are in the movie, like "Beverly Hillbillies," uh, "Let Me Be Your Hog," um, mm-hmm. uh, "The Song UHF," you know, "We Got It All yep. on UHF." But then there's there.
0: Not on the soundtrack. Not on the soundtrack. Not on the soundtrack. No. Still part of the score. But I
2: remember I remember like this soundtrack was a uh you know a popular it works on its own. Yeah, I'm I'm um looking up the track and it also it was one of the first soundtracks that I remember including movie clips cuz it includes uh you know Spatula City Gandhi 2. Spatula City. How have we not talked about Spatula City? They were actually they kept Man, that
0: I'm telling you I know. They we kept could that talk billboard
2: up and people were looking for, for Spatula City. I, I'm also going to mention
0: something really quick. The IMDb trivia for this movie is just poorly regurgitated facts that Weird Al mentions on the DVD commentary and gets a lot of things wrong, like misquotes what he says. Like, for example, and we'll get back to Spatula City in a second, but uh, there's something in the IMDb trivia where it says that Sylvester Stallone was approached to be the helicopter pilot at the end of the Rambo sequence. What really happened was he was asked; he was approached to be the uh, the guy who sells tickets for the helicopter. Um, and the IMDb trivia says that he couldn't do it because of a scheduling conflict. But what Weird Al says is. But it didn't work out because maybe he had something better to do that day. Like, you know, he said it in a very joking way, knowing that, like, this is the height of Sylvester Stallone's career. Right. (laughs) You know, he's not going to be, you know, in this stupid movie.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, like, okay, what would he have been working on? Probably Tango and Cash. Okay.
0: Yeah. So- um, Oh, so back to the soundtrack. Anyway- I would take uh, anything oh. that's on the IMDb trivia, of course, with The grain of salt.
2: As always, as always. Uh, yeah. So t- to go down the track listing of the soundtrack, you've got "Money for Nothing," uh, "Beverly Hillbillies," "Gandhi," two "Attack of the Radioactive Hamsters from Mars," right? A classic, right? Isle thing, We're not in the movie, but it's a parody of, right. of Tone Loke's Wild Thing. Tone Loke's Wild Thing. Yep, right. we've got the Hot Rocks, the aforementioned Hot Rocks polka. We've got the song UHF. We've got Let Me Be Your Your Hog, which is in the movie. We've got song parody, She Drives Like Crazy, parody right. of the Fine Young Cannibals. She Drives Me Crazy, a favorite of mine. The generic blues, which is basically just Weird Al doing blues, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't remember that. We've got the Spatula City, uh, the Fun Zone instrumental, which I think is in right. the movie.
0: Stanley Spadowski, that's Stanley Spadowski's yes. Clubhouse's theme
2: song. Yes, yeah. and then we,
0: yeah, and
2: then we've got another favorite of mine getting getting parodied. We've got Spam, the parody right. of R.E.N. Stand. Stand. Not in the movie. And then it ends with another song not in the movie, but but just as memorable, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota.
0: Right. Which uh I don't know, did I send you this? There's an episode of the podcast. Oh, what was it? 99% invisible, maybe? That's all about the actual controversies surrounding the biggest ball of twine in, in Minnesota. Minnesota. There, are, there are several competing biggest balls of twine that are uh you know they debate which is the true biggest because there's one where it's biggest by like dimension there's one where it's biggest by weight um there's a lot of debate about that
2: and uh, yeah i i love that's like that's one of those songs that for some reason i can still remember a lot of it like, well, I got two weeks of vacation time coming after working all yeah. year down at Big Roy's eating, heating and plumbing, <laughs> Not eating and plumbing. It's so good. Yeah.
0: Uh, so what I what I was getting to before is that like, we could talk about this all day. We could. And and if you want to talk to us about UHF, send us an email, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. There's also our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash ruinedchildhoods. Uh, yeah, we, we'd love to connect with you about this movie. It is one of our favorites. Yeah,
2: we love this movie.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Dan, what are we doing next?
2: Oh, wow. We're going 180 degrees away because next up we're, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at the series, a series that, uh, I, I believe the original might be celebrating its 50th anniversary. We're looking at the, uh, Dirty Harry series. Yeah. So taking quite a uh, left turn here from from UHF and uh going to to uh Clint Eastwood in uh the Dirty Harry series right Dirt, Dirty Harry which was released in uh in 1971 uh yep. in yep december twenty third nineteen seventy one so uh coming up on its fiftieth anniversary sp- has spawned uh several sequels and i think is gonna be uh pretty interesting to look at especially in uh in the the climate the um i guess law enforcement climate not the oppressively sure. hot climate yeah. of uh twenty twenty one so yeah
0: well, Dan, as you are taking the highway exit to go to Spatula City, I wish you a good journey.
2: Good journey. Let me be your hog. Let me be your hog now.